couple years ago, I was sitting down, uh, taking a break from my job at The Athletic Media Company, and uh, I was drinking a non-alcoholic beer from Athletic Brewing, and I thought, uh, hey, this this could be a partnership because I'm, I'm an ad wizard, and so I put those two things together, and Took a couple years, but now I get to read ads for Athletic Brewing and uh, their non-alcoholic beers, and I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about it because I like the product. I like the product for a variety of different reasons. There are times where I'm uh, the designated driver, and that is it's perfect for me. I don't feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a whole lot. There are also times where I'm not the designated driver, but it's going to be a long day of gabbing. And I don't necessarily need to have 10 IPAs in a row. So I will mix in an athletic, non-alcoholic beer. And I I feel like I don't miss a beat. And it allows me to pace myself uh, the way I want to do it. It's perfect for beach days, music festivals, baseball games, camping, late nights. Uh, They have a ton of different varieties. They have uh, Light. They have Upside uh, Dawn Golden. They have Run Wild IPA. They have a Hazy IPA. They have Summer Seasonals. They've got a a Lemon Rattler, Ripe Pursuit. I don't even know what a Rattler is, but now I want to try it. I feel bad that I haven't tried it. So this summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know, Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code T. TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off. It's near beer, non-alcoholic beer, and it tastes... Listen, I grew up with some funky ones. Uh, those didn't taste like beer. This tastes like... This This is good non-alcoholic beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. MS will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and one of the finest former Express and Star Wolves correspondents named Tim. Well, he's in the top two. Top two? Tim Spears, hello Tim. I mean, personally, I'm more of a Tim Nash girl myself. But you know, you work with what you have to, hey? You work with what you have to. An extraordinary thing happened at Molyneux on Monday night. Don't be daft, Wolves didn't score a goal. That would be ridiculous. But they did play well in the first half. Honestly, they really did. And far less surprisingly, Diogo Jota scored the only goal of the game for Liverpool. Rui Patricio was everyone's main concern, but fortunately, he does not appear to have been seriously hurt. Should Wolves have had an early penalty? Yes, screamed the fans. The Liverpool fans, that is. So why wasn't it given? And then there was the second one on Matinho. Are Wolves players too nice? And should they appeal more strongly to referees? Like when Bolly's thigh ball was given as handball? We'll get the views of ex-Premier League referee Mark Halsey. And if that feels like rough justice, well, try playing or managing Wolves women. Two seasons in a row now, they've been running away with the league and twice the season has been curtailed. 
we'll discuss what's next for them. If you subscribe to The Athletic, then you can read all of Tim's Wolves analysis, including his very clever popular culture references, which go right over my head because I only ever watch football and darts. So sign up for this special offer of less than a pound a week by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. How am you, me bab? <laughs> you're on form today. And you're all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, you look like you, you're in a new. Um, you got a new setup today. You look like you're you're about to reenact your um, your performance on the chase. I think you're going to sing me a song. You you stood up. You got a new microphone. You look like you're in a recording studio. <laughs> like a virgin. Yeah. No. Do you know what? I have invested in one of those mic stand thingies because I was having to hold my mic and I was sitting down and it was just a bit annoying so I've got one of those um extension arm things for the mic and a little a little pop thing as well so it did look like something from band-aid or something where I'm recording a little line but I can't sing that's the only difference yeah but please don't sing I mean you, you gave us a couple of bars earlier but, yeah, but please I don't sing I won't I won't now Tim Wolves Liverpool um First of all, before we go on to get your general thoughts on the match, Rui Patricio, we're all so, so concerned. 15 minutes stoppage there was after he collided with Conor Cody's knee. But it seems the news is far better than we first thought it might be. Yeah, fortunately, this is a case of something appearing to look far worse than it is. You know, thank goodness, because there was so much concern at the stadium. Such a long stoppage, an even longer stoppage than, you know, for Jimenez's injury back at Arsenal and of course this was eerily sort of reminiscent to that and everyone was was fearing the worst you know I gather no no replays were shown on TV I gather you know that's the kind of that's how worried everyone was about it or um, or maybe one but yeah I mean at, at the time obviously I could see from opposition that there was a clash and but Patricio did move initially and then he just kind of bolted still in a very kind of upright position albeit lay flat on the ground with his legs by his side which kind of immediately said to me that he was conscious because, you know, he's in like a rigid shape. The way I saw it, and this is this is just me from my position, it looked like he'd, he'd really kind of hurt his, his neck, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, and, and he was very concerned about that, but he immediately knew he had to stay still. That was the way that I read it. He'd obviously felt, you know, a massive twinge or pain in, in the neck or, or, um, or head area. So, yeah, medical staff all came on and, yeah, tended to him for, yeah, uh, at least kind of 12, 13 minutes. And then he was stretched off, taking oxygen. He had a neck brace. You know, they carefully strapped him to one of those kind of like spinal boards, I think it was. And then very gently lowered him onto the stretcher and then and then um, took him from the field. Obviously, huge concern. And we were all very, kind of very surprised to hear sort of very soon after the game that he was okay and conscious and um, and talking and remembered the incident clearly and uh, believe it or not didn't didn't go to hospital so he was kind of said to be relaxed and chatty as, as he left the stadium um a member of the medical team drove him home obviously he didn't want him driving home um but he didn't need to go to hospital and today tuesday he'll be um he'll be given all the kind of usual concussion protocols uh wolves are keeping a very close eye on him but thank goodness like i said it, it's certainly not as serious as it looked and, and he should be okay. Yeah, it was so concerning, especially bearing in mind what had happened to Raul Jimenez and the cameras, of course, kept panning to him and you wonder what's going through his mind. Connor Cody looked so distressed as well. Um, but yeah, that is very, very positive news. And of course, they have to take such precautions that even if it, it's nowhere near as serious um, as it might have been, they can't know that initially. So that's why these things 
takes so long. No, well, full credit to the to the medical team. Yeah, such speedy work and obviously huge precautions taken, uh, which is completely the right thing to do. Concussion protocol will be followed, so we don't know yet in terms of how long it'll be out. But of course, Wolves don't have a game for about another three weeks or so because the West Ham game's been put back by another couple of days. Yeah, it may, it may affect him going on inter- international duty with Portugal, but... On the face of it, like I said, he didn't go to hospital, so Wolves don't play for three weeks. You'd, you'd imagine he'll be in goal when they play West Ham on that Monday night. So in terms of the performance, Tim, and we were being slightly tongue-in-cheek last week about our prediction, or should I take responsibility for that, saying <laughs> the Wolves would be very dull and flat in the first half. Liverpool might score, Diogo Jota in particular, um, and then they may or may not equalise in the second half. I was being a little bit cynical. But but what a positive start, so much so that I was wondering whether Julio Figueroa, the, the mind man in the camp, might have hypnotised the players pre-match and told them it was actually half-time. <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, there was um, there were attacking intent early on and um, playing sort of 10-15 yards further up the field and more numbers getting upfield. They have like five forward on, on occasions, you know, as early as kind of the second, third minute. Like we, We've been asking them to do this. They can do it. They took on very good opposition when doing it. You know, the, you've got um, Mane, Salah, and Jota at the other end, but they were, Wolves weren't afraid to leave gaps for Liverpool to try and exploit. So, so they were brave in that way, and this is what this is what they used to do. Um, so it's great to see. I mean, it kind of showed me, you know, it's it's not just the formation that's holding Wolves back. You know, they can produce an attacking, vibrant performance with three four three. I thought they were great. I thought um, William Jose and Jay Martino have, have both kind of been below par in recent weeks. It really kind of affects Wolves in the spine of the team, and I thought they were so much improved, and it really it really helped improve the team performance. You had Semedo as basically an extra second striker at times, playing on the last man. You had Johnny offering deep width down the other flank. So like I said, they had five forward. I'd prefer one of those five to be a midfielder sometimes in the box. I understand the sort of protection element, Matinho and Neves offer, reacting to turnovers of possession. But but still, they had big numbers forward. They were posing Liverpool questions. That, 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 that was the big thing for me. Albeit not creating those golden chances that um, that they wanted to. And of course, they, they did spurn a few, a few good chances themselves. And then the sucker punch of Jota's goal on the stroke of half-time is ultimately the pivotal moment, but um, but I thought Wolves did more than enough to to deserve a point from their, from their performance. Nuno and players have been talking for weeks about starting more strongly. So why do you think suddenly against Liverpool they did so? I, I just, I, I think they took a few more risks. Um, you know, we, we know they can play like that. I don't think it's necessarily a confidence issue. You know, they've, they've, they've had a decent run of results recently. So I think you've got to say it's, it's the way they've been instructed to play. Because because they were further up the field. That's that's not them. That's not just the way the game's gone. You know they've decided to be further up the field. They've decided Semedo's got this license to play on the last man when they're in possession. You know he's not he's not doing that because he wants to. He's doing that because Nuno's told him to. So I feel like it's the way they've been instructed. And it's such a shame they didn't get that goal in the first half. Um, and Liverpool still created the better chances. Albeit I, I know they've struggled so much recently, Liverpool. But but they're still a good away team as we've seen and as we heard from James Pearce last week. So. Um, I've got nothing to moan about with that performance other than the finishing. It was just such a shame that, that, that they couldn't score a goal or two. Yeah, well, quite possibly they could have scored a goal in the opening couple of minutes had they been awarded a penalty. Now, this is hugely controversial in terms of Wolves' perspective, but I was on social media at the time and some absolute die-hard reds, like proper, some might say one-eyed, but not just passionate Liverpool fans, were saying, well, that's a penalty. Why didn't they give a penalty? And I was wondering, why on earth did players not appeal? Now, 
it was a case of Alisson going up for a high ball with Semedo. He went down, obviously, under the challenge, bearing in mind that he was barged into. And he went down sort of grimacing, but the other players didn't appeal. Why do Wolves players not ever seem to appeal? Because in my humble opinion, having spoken to top referees over the years, they absolutely admit privately that they go on player appeals. Hence the willy bolly handball in the second half, which was nowhere near his arm, it came off his thigh. But because there was a Liverpool player appealing in the referee's face, he doubted himself and gave a, a non-existent handball. Yeah, they're probably showing too much respect. I mean, it comes from the captain, I would have thought, and maybe, maybe they've just been too nice. We've spoken about the dark arts before, you know, on this podcast over the past, um, however long we've been doing this podcast now. <laughs> Year and two months, my love. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of being cute, in terms of everyone else, everyone else does it. It's it's probably got something to do with it, as you say. You know, you've conversations you've had with referees privately. It's it's subconscious, and certainly the bolly handball, which was a, such a bad decision, such a bad decision. It's hit him on the leg. It was a guess, wasn't it? It's it hit him on the leg. Yeah, arms flailing, screaming for handball. Like you say, and and because I, I was in the stadium and I thought that's handball, that is. Because you do, and then you see you see one replay, and you realise it's absolutely not handball. But I I don't really like criticising referees, but he was poor. He just made a lot of bad decisions. And the Matinho one, when Trent Alexander Arnold pushed him with one hand and pushed Matinho over in the box, in the corner of the box, it doesn't matter where in the box it is. It could be on the line, on the edge of the box, and it's still a penalty if it's a foul. Yeah, but that that's one where he's probably overreacted, Matinho, if anything. I think he was I think he was looking for the penalty to be honest, but it is a push. It is a push in the box. It's contact in the box. Um it's a foul, certainly, but he has gone looking for it, which is that's probably his downfall there. But yeah, I mean the Semedo one, like you mentioned, the Matinho one, that Bolly handball, which was just ridiculous. Tiago clattered into Neves at one point and somehow avoided a booking and, and later did actually get one belatedly. And and then the added time at the end of the game, which which is very, very frustrating. So I, I kind of lost track of time because of so much added time and the, the clock was just, yeah, insane levels of 100 plus minutes. But the injury was on 85 minutes to Patricio. They've restarted on 100 minutes and then he's only added another seven minutes of added time. So that suggests that the seven minutes added on is all that was left in the game when Patricio went down. So what he's saying there is five minutes of normal time left plus two minutes, roughly, of stoppage time. That's what he's saying. I haven't seen a Premier League game for a long time that had two minutes stoppage time at the end of a second half. Um, there were six substitutions before Patricio's injury. Well, two of them were at the same time, so it was five different stoppages to make substitutions. Yeah, that's five. So that's up to 30 seconds per substitution as opposed to allowing it. Yeah, so that's two and a half minutes automatically minimum plus all the other natural stoppages that happen throughout a second half. Like I say, you never see two, two minutes uh, added on at the end of the second half. So that, that was, that's just sort of basics, really. And I know Wolves could have played for another 90 minutes and not scored. I know that. But they were really pushing at the end of the game there. Another minute another minute, they could have got a point. And that's that's why that's so frustrating, because that's just basics. Just just look at your watch. Get the time right. But why um, did shouldn't that be not happen? Why did that It shouldn't be at all confusing. I don't understand. Patricio was down for a long time, but you just stop your watch at that point. It's not a complicated issue. So it might have been complicated for us watching, but not certainly not for the referee. It's pretty basic and just really frustrating. Let's hear now from Mark Halsey, who's been on the Molyneux View podcast before, and he's been good enough to send us his opinion on the key decisions in the Liverpool game. 
I think there was three big talking points uh, from last night's game, uh, Wolves v Liverpool. I think the first one, obviously, after two minutes, when Alisson Becker clattered into Nelson Semedo, um, for me, it's an absolute clear penalty. Careless challenge, he drops a ball and then obviously goes into the Wolves player. I, I think that as a referee at that level, you've got to be seeing that. And, you know, I know it was only after two minutes, but I thought that... Craig Pawson, the level he's refereeing at, should be seeing that, and and he sh- and he should be identifying that as a as a as a foul challenge. And although it was only two minutes into the game, you have to be switched on as a referee. The moment you blow that whistle, and I think it was clearly that um, he he wasn't. I think you're looking at the second the second penalty incident we're looking at. I think they you know the the the, the push from. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold on uh, Mortinho again. You know, I don't think there'd have been any complaints had the referee pointed to the spot. And again, he's in he's in a good position. Perhaps he just felt that he went down too easy. But when you're going at pace and you get pushed like that, you do go you do go off your balance and then you go down in stages. So that for me, that was that was a clear push. Anywhere else in the field of play, that would be given as a as a penalty. Now the th- the third talking point for me is obviously the injury to uh, Patricio and, and with with the with the the challenge with his own player Connor Cody with 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 the through ball um, and the offside. Now I have my concerns and players' safety is paramount. And in this situation, when there's a clear offside in a through ball like that, you know I've been voicing my concerns for over a season now regarding injuries to players with this situation, this protocol, and holding your flag, holding your flag until the attacking phase finishes or a goal is scored. Now, we've seen firsthand last night what happens with this protocol, and it needs to be looked at. That injury could have been avoided, and we need to get back to basics on on offsides and, and these situations. When it's clearly offside... We need to be putting the flag up straight. Yes, I can understand in and around the box you keep your flag down, but when there's a through ball, you know, 30, 40 yards from goal and he's clearly offside, put the flag up because we do not want to see players sustaining serious injuries like we saw last night. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to Wolves and their lack of goals because... You know, we have to be completely honest about this. It's not just decisions. I mean, the, you know, Wolves being positive and going forward is all very nice, but they rarely look like scoring. I mean, in terms of the last five games at Molyneux, since that West Brom defeat when they lost 3-2, if you take out the penalty against Arsenal and the Melier own goal, 
Matinho's is the only goal they've scored in those five home games since the West Brom game. They've got this habit of either scoring wonder goals or unusual goals like Ruben Neves uh, with a header in the box. You know, they're not, you're not getting any kind of through balls and tidy finishes clipped over the keeper or you're not getting any crosses coming into the box that are just glanced into the corner with a header. There's no kind of consistent route to goal here at all. I thought that I thought they were much better last night. And what what was really interesting was the social media reaction. And I know Patricio's injury kind of clouded that a bit. But even during the game, when Wolves were losing, the derision aimed at them was far more, far, far more after draws against Newcastle and Villa than it was for a defeat against Liverpool. I know it's Liverpool, but obviously they've been on a horrendous run and people were we, you know, would have been home for a result last night on Monday night. Worst form in the Premier League since February. So no, I know, but like, but like we said last week, that their away form has still been pretty good. They won three of their previous four. They've just got this strange problem at Anfield. I thought that was really noticeable, and you, and you know why that is, because Wolves gave it a good go, and they were attacking. They were on the front foot, and they were positive. And I, I kind of walked away from Molyneux last night thinking that was a pretty decent game of football. That I enjoyed that. Wolves came up against a really good team, albeit in, in poor form, and put on a decent performance. What was so frustrating was the lack of finishing touch and it's um, it's just a consistent problem that's not going away. So Michael Cox, aka Zonal Markin, did a piece a couple of days ago at the weekend about players in the Premier League who've had the most amount of shots without scoring this season. Number one on that list is Leander Dendonka, who's had 27 shots with no goals and Adama Traore was fourth, I think, on that list with 24 shots and no goals. There are others. Nelson Semedo's had 20 shots without scoring. And William Jose has had 10 shots without scoring. So there's a lot of shots there with no goals. And Fabio Silva has taken 28 shots for his two goals, albeit one was a penalty. William Jose last night, I thought it was much better. I thought it was probably his best performance, certainly that first half in a Wolf shirt. Some of his link-up play was excellent. He was volleying it. He was His awareness was great. He was playing through balls. But at the end of the day, he didn't have a single shot. And he's had, believe it or not, Jackie Oatley, one touch in the opposition box in the last three games. That's insane. (laughs) For the lone striker. He's had 19 touches in the opposition box in total since he joined Wolves. In 11 hours of goalless play, he's had 10 shots in total. So kind of unlike the man who replaces him week after week, because Silva does replace him week after week, He's just not getting any chances at all. However, he was better last night. He was playing the Jimenez role. In the, he was sort of linking the ball on halfway and then bursting into the box and trying to get on the end of crosses. Just a couple didn't land on his head. But yeah, 11 hours without a goal. I mean, that's not a patch on Adama Traore, who is now gone in the Premier League 51 hours without scoring. 51 hours. Um, Dendonka's on 34 hours. Um, albeit he's played a few of those in defence, but still. So Jose's certainly not the only um, problem here, but as Nuna kind of said last night, you know, he was pleased with his performance. They do expect more from him, but they also expect more from the team and goals just aren't being scored. He was better, but he still has to do more. I sent you that clip of a fabulous lung-busting run from Adama Traore down the right-hand side. A brilliant, brilliant run, which started inside his own half. And then he pulls the ball back, Fizzes it across the face of goal. 
And William Jose is just standing there and it goes across. How many times has that happened this season where great balls from Neto or Traore have gone across the face goal and nobody's reacted? And occasionally I defend them going, well, if they'd have moved any earlier, they'd have been offside. But <laughs> not on this occasion. He was just standing there. And Semedo had bust a gut to try and get into the box. Neto was just inside the box, but no midfielder was anywhere near the box. Both Neves and Matinho were outside. You can only think that that's because they were thinking, oh, I must keep my shape, I must keep my shape. But Wolves are not scoring goals. And to me, it's no surprise that they're not scoring. We watch every single minute of every single game and watch back and watch clips and, and analyse. It's just not a surprise. They are miles away from each other. When you watch teams that score goals on a regular basis, they are interacting with each other. One touch here, one touch there, slipping the ball past each other, winning a penalty. Wolves front players are never anywhere near each other. You've got wingers out on the wing, you've got wing backs, and there's not enough movement coming inside for that interchange of passing that makes things happen. If you recall when Fabio Silva came on late in the game, wonderful flick. I'm not sure if you got to see it from your position in the stand. Fabulous, clever little flick in for Morgan Gibbs-White, who raced clear and, and the defender came across to cover. That's what Fabio Silva is good at, flicking the ball on, interacting with players nearby who are making runs. That's just not the way Wolves play. They're not anywhere near each other. And it's almost like they're pushing an elephant up the stairs trying to score a goal. They're doing it the hard way and it's just not happening instead of making it easy for themselves by getting together. I mean, excuse me, I'm on a bit of a rant here. But the front three for Liverpool when they scored their goal only came from a, a throw-in, a, a Wolves throw-in, Semedo to William Jose, poor chested control, and then he allowed the defender Phillips to head the ball way over his head. And, and that sent the ball forwards. And then the front three of Liverpool, one touch passing. Ping, ping, ping. Jota was in. I don't think he mishit it at all. He did that a lot for Wolves, that whole left foot near post thing, which really shouldn't have been surprised by at all. But it makes it so much easier for them to play off each other when they're nearer each other. It's not rocket science, right? There's a decent rant that. I've never pushed an elephant up the stairs, um, so I can't I can't tell you how difficult that is, but I'd imagine you're probably spot on that it's pretty tricky. Um, With your hands behind your back, that's how they do. It's such a shame for Jose that he, he just hasn't done himself justice now and, and kind of time is running out for him. Um, an £18 million move in the summer wouldn't look likely at the moment for, for someone who turns 30 in November. It's just a shame because he do, he does he does have some of the characteristics that Jimenez has. He just can't put it together in a ninety minute performance yet. Albeit, like I said, I thought against Liverpool he's much better than recent weeks, but still not offering exactly what Wolves need in Jimenez's absence. You know, he can be strong, he can be good in the air, he keeps possession pretty well in the final third, but he's just not got that all round game that Jimenez offers. And it's a shame because he, he made such a strong start. I thought he was great, at Crystal Palace on his debut, but the weeks in between that and the Liverpool game just not quite showing enough. I think he struggled to get used to the intensity of the league, to be honest. I'm just not sure it completely suits him. So Wolves have played 29 games this season. After 29 games of last season, which was the final game that fans got to see, the nil-nil home draw with Brighton, Wolves went fifth in the table on 43 points. This season, they've scored 28 goals in 29 games. They'd scored 41 at the same stage last season after that Brighton game. That's 13 goals fewer, and they are eight points worse off than at this stage last season. And in terms of goals, whenever you think of Wolves this season, you think, well, who's the most impressive standout forward for them? You'd have to say Pedro Neto, right? Uh, Ruben Neves, Fox in the Box, but yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> From 12 yards, maybe. Um, 
Well, Pedro Neto scored just one goal in his last 19 appearances. And that's the one after his mum told him to shoot, thanks to your article <laughs> at Southampton. His previous goal was the winner against Chelsea, which he missed because you were larging up at a wedding in London. Um, one goal in his last 19, and he's Wolves' most potent attacking threat. So, hello, folks. It's not a big surprise Wolves are struggling, hey? Yeah, I was, I was doing some number crunching the other day, actually. They're roughly on about 1.25 points per game, roughly. In the last two seasons, they've been up at sort of 1.5 points per game, and their two points totals in the last two seasons have sort of been high 50s. At this this season, they're on for high 40s, the way that they're going. And high 40s normally earns you about 12th or 13th in the league table. So history suggests if they kind of get 47, 48 points, which is which is what they're on track to do at the moment, they're on 35, they'll finish about 12th or 13th. I mean, if you asked me, would Raul Jimenez's goals have made up that shortfall? I would say probably, certainly a decent chunk of that shortfall. I mean, Jimenez scored 17 in the league last season. Their top scorer is five with Neto and Neves, both on five. So one, losing Jimenez, and two, the failure to replace him up front has had such a damaging effect on the season in terms of goals and ultimately in terms of points. So nine games left now. There is a slight concern in my little head that by the next time Wolves take to the field, Fulham will have played twice and Fulham will play uh, Leeds at home this Friday, and then they'll play Villa away just after the international break, just for West Ham. Now, you know I'm not I'm not um, a glass-half-empty uh, man, but yeah, Fulham at the moment, nine points behind Wolves, and if they were to pick a couple of results out of the bag, as relegation-threatened teams do at this time of season, then they'll really start putting a dent in that gap between them and Wolves. So 35 points might be enough to stay up. Decent chance it actually might be. But with strange results at this time of year, Wolves are going to need some results uh, fairly soon just to allay any kind of fears of getting sucked into a relegation battle. Because, yeah, it's, it's what, two defeats in eight, but they've not got a huge points haul over that time and they could really do with a couple of results sooner rather than later. There is always one team that gets dragged in that people don't expect, isn't there? There's usually one. But, but the problem is they can't score goals. It, it's a problem. If you can't score goals in football, and even if you concede one every two games, then you're still only going to get one point, aren't you? So... It's a major problem. Mark Bromley says, do you think Nuno would ever consider bringing in an attacking coach for the pace and dynamism that we have at our disposal? It's almost laughable how clueless we seem to be 99% of the time in the final third of the pitch. We desperately need somebody to impart some ideas on them. Yeah, I mean, they've got they've got all the individual talent, as I've kind of said before. If you've got a front four of Pedence, Neto, Traore and Jimenez and you're not scoring goals... And then there's a big problem. So once they get those two players back, if these problems still persist, then then the, yeah, the, the, you, you'd have to suggest that there would be some kind of issue with the coaching because the, the talent is certainly there. Um, I mean, the fixtures they've got coming up after they play West Ham, just after the international break, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but they play a lot of teams towards the bottom end of the table in succession. So for five games in a row, they go to Fulham. Then they've got Sheffield United at home. Then they've got Burnley at home. Then they go to West Brom, and then uh, and then they host Brighton. That's five games in a row against teams all currently in the bottom six. So you can say that's a good thing because they're the worst teams in the league, or you can say it's a bad thing because if Wolves don't pick up results against them, then they really do get dragged into it. If they're to lose three out of those five, for example, then they will they will get dragged towards the bottom five, six of the table. So um, 
There have been far more encouraging signs in the last few weeks than there were in the previous few weeks, but they still uh, just haven't quite picked up enough points yet to allay any fears at all of getting sucked into that. You mentioned those teams that Wolves are playing and how they're supposedly the worst teams in the league. I remember you saying how terrible West Brom were when they came to Mollingham. Awful. Two Dreadful. penalties and a Abismal. long throw. Uh, and <laughs> no points out of that particular game. Have they won since? Uh, right. I can't, I can't believe, I still can't believe that result happened. They're so bad. They're so bad. How on earth did that happen? Fabio Silva, you could say he's not great with his head, but he's not great with his shoulder either. I mean, that late chance. Dear, oh dear. Where do you stand on his finishing ability and his potential on that front? Um, exactly where I have for the for the past few months. Again, nothing has changed. He seems he just seems to rush it. There was a header against Spurs, was it? Um, just just around Christmas time, where a cross came into the box, and he evaded his man, and he made the perfect run, and he got on the end of the cross, but he just mistimed his his header, and he's done that a few times this season, just lacking composure in front of goal. Uh, he's a kid. He's eighteen. I think I think he's a good player there, and he'll get better. But at this moment in time, he's, he hasn't got the composure um, to be a Premier League striker. But uh, they haven't got any other options, you know. If if, um, if Jose's not going to last ninety minutes, or you need someone to show that movement and get on the end of crosses in the box, then Silva's got to come on. But he but he can't finish at the moment. So they're just stuck in this purgatory of, of the same things happening week after week. Yeah, I still like to find a way of seeing William Jose and Fabio Silva together. So there's a little bit more link-up play. But that's a conundrum for Nuno. And if you recall a few months ago, I had a look at all of Fabio Silva's goals that are available on various corners of, of YouTube from his under-19s, under-18s performances. Um, the only header I could see that he scored was for the Portugal under-19s. And that was literally across onto his head with the goal gaping. Um, it's not his strength but it's something he's just going to have to learn. But at the moment, he's missing these headers, but it's a case of not playing to his strengths. I mean, his strengths, we keep saying it, but it's interacting with players close by him, clever flicks, tricks, making space, you know, nipping in. None of these chances are being created at the moment, so it's just the same thing week after week that's not happening, for whatever reason. I think in terms of, in terms of creating those chances, I think probably they need to move away from crosses a little bit because Neto and... The chances I mentioned earlier, you know, Neto and Traore high up that list, most of those will come from crosses. And Traore, I mean, there was one occasion last night where he beat he beat three players and it was just like it was the easiest thing in the world for him to do. And then he overhit his cross. Um, but more often than not with Traore, his, his crosses have been better in the last few weeks. But there's just no the movement in the box just isn't good enough or people aren't getting on the end of him or they're, or they're sending headers over the bar. Um, I feel a bit sorry for him, to be honest. I thought he outshone Neto quite considerably against Liverpool. Neto had, had a rare uh, off day. Um, but I did a piece about Traore on Monday in terms of this you know this horrible stat that hangs over his head in terms of no goals and no assists this season. I mean, if you look at it, he's laid chances on a plate and he should have about three, four, five, maybe even six assists this season, which will be rivaling the nine. He set up last season, most of which, of course, were Phil Jimenez. You know, that fantastic partnership they struck up. But he put a tapping on a plate for Neto against Leicester. He put a free header on a plate for Otisawi in the last minute against Brighton. He put the ball on Dendonka's head when he was two yards from goal at Arsenal away. Obviously, he won the penalty at Brighton. He had the shot against Leeds. Somehow, he's not credited with anything for that, even though that, that goal was all him. I don't know, it bounced off the keeper. So, you know, this like I said, this horrible stat that carries around with trail raids, it, it doesn't reflect... Uh, his contribution to the team, to me, I, I know, I know, we want and expect more from him, but in terms of um, setting up chances, he's he's doing a pretty good job recently. 
Yeah, you can use stats to tell a story, but your eyes are the better judge and, and anyone that's watched Wolves this season will see the contribution that he makes. Dan Farr asks, is it worth seeing what Morgan Gibbs-White, Otisawi, Aitnori, etc. can offer, given a run of games in their preferred positions to see if they can be part of this squad next season? Thought Gibbs-White looked bright when he came on. Gibbs-White did look bright. Um, the move you mentioned earlier when he, he couldn't didn't quite have the pace to um, outrun his man was his kind of first touch. But after that, I thought his passing was really kind of bright and inventive, actually. Um, and I thought, I mean, the guy's played two minutes in the league since that West Brom defeat, which is all, which is more than two months ago now. So Nuno hasn't felt um, the urge to put him on at all and give him a chance. I mean, what did he get last night? About seven seven minutes of game time. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought he did enough to, to at least earn a few more minutes the next time he comes on, because, yeah, it was, it was a good little cameo, that was. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. We're all trying to work out, Tim, why Wolves aren't even similar to what they were last season. We've touched on this in various podcasts, and of course we know about the Raul situation, but you've written quite an in-depth piece looking into that. Yeah, so um, this was quite a long time coming together. Just kind of really wanted to explore, like you say, why Wolves aren't quite at themselves this season. I mean, the initial idea for this piece was to talk about how many more injuries they've had this season. Actually, when you look into it, which is something I discovered when researching it, in terms of days missed by players this season, they're at pretty much where they were last season. In terms of players missed, sidelined out for injuries, and the number of days that they've missed and the number of matches they've missed. What's been different this year is, one, they had a glut of injuries where they had six players out in one go um, around the turn of the year. 
and two, it's it's more important first team players that have been out this season that have been so been more keenly felt. You know, people like Shabani and Jordan missed long periods last season, whereas this year it's more your Jimenez, your Johnny Ottos, your Daniel Pedences. But I just wanted to kind of explore the problems that all clubs and teams are facing this season in terms of fatigue, mental fatigue more than anything. It's so easy to forget that the monotony and the boredom that we're all suffering at the moment, those players are, are suffering that as well. And it's kind of interesting to note that there have been sort of studies into this that the more sort of bored you are or sort of mentally fatigued you are or stressed you are, the more chance you've got of picking up an injury. And obviously, the less the less chance you've got of performing to your best on the field. And I know uh, these guys get paid tens of thousands of pounds a week. And you can just assume, if you like, that they need to to flick a switch and just, and just turn it on week after week. But if you're not happy in your home life and if you're not... Um, haven't got the same routines and social life and you can't see your family and, and your family back home ill you know these are all going to affect your performance on the pitch and that's something I think that Wolves have found quite a lot this season um, added to the fact that they had no break last summer you know normally they're so meticulous with their pre-season routines it's normally six seven weeks pre-season it's normally you know three four weeks of solid testing at the, at the start to ease players in to improve their fitness levels as those weeks go on. They had none of that this year. And as um, I mean, as someone told me, when they approached that Sheffield United game at the opening season, um, the players were completely drained at the end of last season. You know, strong words, really. Um, it was about survival, somebody said to me, and purely about recovery. They didn't train at all before that Sheffield United game. So hopefully this kind of gives a sense and a flavour of the issues that they've had and I know that they started the season well in terms of results but really they were just getting through it and I think we saw with the performances they weren't quite themselves and then what happened after that was they had this um, fixture congestion with a large amount of games in a small amount of time and that's when the injury started so um, but in terms of fatigue and that mental fatigue and breaking that monotony and, and being happy in their home lives it's not necessarily going to change. You know, Neves still hasn't met his newborn baby son. Uh, we hope we will soon now that Portugal have been taken off the red list. But he's, it's been almost two months now. Um, you mentioned William Jose earlier. You know, he's got a pregnant wife back home with their with their first newborn child. And he's had to make the difficult decision to leave her in Spain and, and come over here for, for his career, really. And live in a hotel in Wolverhampton. And, you know, I found out stories about, about players having to move to hotels this season because, because of issues with COVID and... It's all sort of related to their on-field performance. So so um, I'd urge anyone to read. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, it's difficult to kind of sum up 4,000 words in, in, in a few minutes. But um, but I'd urge everyone to, to read it and, uh, and hopefully it gives an insight into, into why they're not quite themselves this year. Yeah, you mentioned about Neves still not having seen his newborn baby. I mean, it was January the 30th that he was travelling back from the Crystal Palace game and watched on his phone the birth of his third child, and his first little boy, um, David De Gea, has been given as much leave as he wants to go to Spain and 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 be with his partner for their birth. But I guess Portugal being on the red list has meant that Neves couldn't go. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Or could have gone, but would have yeah, had to absolutely quarantine. just just not feasible. Um, I mean, just, just just to kind of finish on this. I mean, another key quote for me was, you know, burnout is clearly an important factor for the risk of injuries, right? If you're burnt out, if you're in the red zone, then you're more likely to pick up an injury. But one of the biggest causes of burnout is monotony. And right now, all our lives are about monotony. 
So I know that they've always taken the mental side of the game really seriously, um, and that hasn't changed. But I think they've learned. They've probably learned a few lessons this season. I, th- I think they'd. I think they'd admit, um, as as all staff have around uh, around the country. Um, you know, the players get questionnaires every day as to how they're feeling. You know, their mental well-being. How much did they sleep? How are they feeling? How stressed are they? You know, so they're trying to keep a close eye on this, but but of course it's not it's not an exact science when it comes to things like stress. So I think they've all learned a lot about themselves this year. And yeah, I think um, every every club has learned an awful lot. Yeah, we've got a lot of tweets about just wanting this season to be over and we're all fascinated to see what Wolves come back with next season, hopefully with a stronger squad in terms of players coming back, fitness and strengthening and reshuffling the pack, if you like. And um, looking forward to that. But then three weeks now without a game, we'll get an idea about what the summer's going to be like. It's a a quiet period, isn't it? I mean, um, international break. Is Nuno okay with the players going away, as many as will be? Yeah, I think think all um, as as happy as they can be. Um, There's no obviously no red list countries involved. Portugal's game's been moved to Turin. So, um, yeah, as, as, as happy as they can be. And, of course, Raul Jimenez is going away with Mexico. So he's joining up uh, with the Mexico squad because they're only over the border in um, in Wales for their friendly. So um, they're happy for him to go and kind of see his teammates and, uh, you know, change the scenery, see some friendly faces. You know, he's not seen his international teammates for a while. I think it'd be really good for him. And, you know, we talk about that monotony and the lockdown, you know, he's been in Wolverhampton for the past few months and, of course, not playing games to break that up. So um, so really good for him. I know people are concerned about, about him going away, but it's only, it's only to Wales to see his teammates. He'll train with them. Wolves are liaising with the doctors there to make sure that um, he's doing the same routine as he is at Wolves. Um, and gradually building up his training. So he started wearing a headband now in training. Um, Nuno called it sort of exclusive technology. Uh, they're very happy with it. And uh, they're looking into the possibility of him wearing this headband uh, during matches when he does return. So um, still no head in or contact for him and as yet, but he's building it up bit by bit. And he's got a new, a striking new haircut as well, as we, as we saw during the um, during the Liverpool game. Sort of like grey blonde, would you call it, Jackie? <laughs> Grey blonde, grey blonde chic. No, it, it was blonde, but it was that sort of funny shade, wasn't it? He's probably just so bored. He just wanted something different in his life, like the rest of us do. You know, just, what can I do that's just different? Have a different breakfast or something. Just try and jazz things up a little bit. Go blonde, go blonde. Thank you for that. I haven't had a chance to read your article, but I absolutely will be delving in once I've got my match at Peterborough today and at uh, Champions League commentary tomorrow out of the way. Let's talk Wolves women, Tim, because this is another hammer blow for them, an absolute hammer blow two years in a row when they've been running away with the league. And the season has been curtailed through obvious reasons, but extra frustration this time. They've won nine games out of nine, by the way, this season in League and Cup. They couldn't have done any more. But manager Dan McNamara was saying yesterday on the radio how frustrated he was. What's your take on it? Just, uh, it's hard to put to words, really. I mean, for it to happen again a year later with them top of the league, clearly far too good for that division. All the effort they've put in, you know, they've, they've emotionally managed to get over the disappointment of not going up last season, despite being miles clear at the top of the table, with the season close to being at a conclusion. You know, this season they've only kind of played a handful of games, but still top of the league again, far too good for that league. I mean, I guess they knew that this could have happened, and obviously, you know, coronavirus hasn't gone away at all in the in the past year, but the way that it's happened is so disappointing. 
um, and the message it sends about about the importance of women's football at that level is is not a good one. So um, Dan, understandably, incredibly frustrated. I mean, I saw him uh, tweeting yesterday that it was madness how quick the FA made the decision about uh, elite player competition um, and how players playing their FA Cup after six days back was deemed acceptable. You know, we referenced that in the pod a week or two ago, and they basically had to go straight back into an FA Cup game despite months off. So yeah, I mean, there's a there's a there's a chink of light in that they may end up in the third tier anyway. You know, they understand that the FA are going to take applications for teams to maybe move up the league and maybe expand the leagues next year to kind of allow teams like Wolves, who are clearly far too good for the fourth tier and far too big for the fourth tier, to move up after after two near flawless seasons. I mean, it's, it would be astonishing if they were still in the fourth tier next year. So hopefully some kind of common sense prevails and, and they can continue this journey that, that's, that's had to stall uh, for two seasons in a row now. Exactly. And they are being encouraged, the clubs at that level, to continue playing matches, but they're going to be friendlies, not competitive ones. So I think there's probably some frustration amongst those clubs involved that perhaps there wasn't a contingency plan in place for the potential situation which has materialised once again. So just from a human point of view, it's just so frustrating for them. They've got players who may not be able to play again next season. Maybe this would have been their final year and they wanted to give it you know, a good go, but at least they've done themselves proud. And of course, they are still playing in the FA Cup. So they've got that game against Nottingham Forest just six days after they're allowed to start training again, which is on March 29th. So um, we'll keep an eye out for them then. And it's up to Dan to try to motivate the players and maybe siege mentality will take over and, and they'll be up and at them and, and try to get into the next round. And uh, and we wish them all the very best with that indeed. And also the Feed Our Pack campaign, by the way, they did so, so well. We don't have the final figures as yet but they managed to sell a lot of tickets, the £20 virtual tickets for the match with every single penny going to try to end food poverty in Wolverhampton and holiday hunger. You know, I just hate the sound of that. Holiday hunger, the fact that there are children going hungry and parents taking it in turns to eat so the kids can eat, if they even get that far. When these holidays are on, there's something seriously wrong somewhere. Definitely not going to get political, but it is a big concern. So well done to everybody who's contributed and well done to everybody at the Wolves Foundation who who put that campaign together. And of course, to Nuno, who's personally donated a quarter of a million pounds, which is an incredible effort. Yeah, and definitely. It's been a, it's been a fantastic initiative. Um, kicked off by that by that incredible donation from Nuno and, and yeah the, the money keeps going up so great to see Jackie great and Tim the Liverpool home game was also a big fundraiser for the Feed Our Pack campaign from the Wolves Foundation I just had a message from Will Clues from the foundation who says that with the virtual tickets the replica shirts and the Just Giving page they've raised £79,000 so far and all the fundraising functions remain open so they're keen uh, for the fans to keep supporting they're saying how brilliant they've been and all that money goes to ending or trying to end food poverty in Wolverhampton and holiday hunger which is just a horrible concept in modern times excellent thank you tim what are you working on this week with no press conferences to keep you going you'll have to get your journalistic juices flowing uh, I don't know really. Um, oh no, a few. Um, there's a yeah, there's a few bits and bobs. Obviously, yeah, three weeks without a match, so we're um, we're uh, uh, getting the brains trust together for some for some interesting content over the next few weeks. But yeah, definitely some good stuff coming up. 
excellent and i'm looking forward to reading that article of yours on uh, this crazy season of walls thank you very much tim we'll be back next week as usual in the meantime make sure you do subscribe to the athletic for the special offer of less than a pound a week go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod see you next week bye for now the athletic <laughs>